Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hello and welcome to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek podcast where we talk about advertising, marketing, technology, media, uh, pop culture, just about anything because everything in the end is probably an ad. Uh, with me today, I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with Adweek.com and with us today is uh, Tim Nudd, our creative editor. Tim, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. And Christina Monlo is a staff writer here at Adweek. Hey. So I uh, just want to dive into some of the news that's been going on in advertising, marketing, such uh, this week. Probably the biggest story, I feel like, is Gawker closing down after uh, quite a bit of legal trouble. Uh, Christina, this is something you and I have been talking about quite a bit, uh, probably, geez, for years now, about their kind of ups and downs and the the many ways the Gawker voice and tone have changed. There have been years where I personally kind of had hope that it was becoming a slightly less reprehensible site. Uh, other times, they bounced back and became even more reprehensible. Uh, and so I think a lot of us in the media industry especially really have kind of conflicted feelings about none of us probably like the fact that Gawker was closed by the, you know, kind of machinations of a billionaire who had it out for them. That said, I think his beef with them uh, from being kind of outed by the site was understandable. Uh, but at the same time, it definitely is a hard thing to get your emotions around. Uh, I, I'm curious, Christina, what's what's your kind of personal feeling on on the closure of Gawker? Well, I mean, a lot of the postmortems you've been reading um, have sort of been, you know, talking about the high points of Gawker. They've done a lot of great journalism, um, and you know, in the end, the media industry needs an agitator. Um, to push things forward, to to make uh, the institutions that run this world, uh, I, I don't know, cover things that they haven't and address things that they haven't. But I don't know. I'm I'm honestly not sure how to how to feel about this because I I read Gawker all the time. I think a lot of people did. I think it was the kind of place where if you were reading. If you were reading something so bad, it was hilarious. You couldn't wait to go and read a Gawker takedown of what, you know, what, I don't know, some cr crappy piece on something was. I don't want to be specific because there, there are plenty of things to be specific about, but I don't want to piss anyone off. Um, but it's like, I, it's it's a weird day to like not be able to go to that site and see all of these um, all of these takes on things. At the same time, I think a lot of the a lot of the writers that I loved and admired from the site had left, and you know it was it was kind of the site was 
since since what happened in like uh, you know, I think it was June or July 2015, whenever Max Reed and um, Tommy Craggs resigned and there was that whole blow up um, because a lot of the staff disagreed with what had been published about that Condé Nast executive. Ever since then, I think Gawker's been in this weird mode. And so I don't know. It's basically been not a skeleton of itself, but not has not had its uh, you know traditional energy level, and it, it, you know it, I feel like. There, there's some relief in kind of watching it end on a dramatic note uh, so that at least it kind of goes out doing what it did best, which is pissing off uh, you know people in power. Uh, I, I think the downer is that you know it's not a way that any media entity or really you know should should be driven out of business by uh, especially someone like Hulk Hogan arguing that they're not a public figure, uh, being bankrolled by uh, you know billionaire. It's just it's a Again, for journalists, uh, for bloggers, it's a very difficult thing. Uh, but the other thing, too, is that Gawker, in a way, kind of invented uh, blogging, the the way we think of blogging. I mean, Tim, you've been blogging for over a decade. Uh, I mean, how would you describe kind of the influence that Gawker had overall? Well, I don't know. The influence among New York media people, obviously, was huge. I mean, there was if you worked in publishing in New York, you know, you got to work and you logged on and checked out what was on Gawker. I mean, this was... A while ago now, like I'm talking 10 years ago, eight or 10 years ago. And, you know, like a lot of the Gawker media sites, uh, the flagship kind of became like super generalist and they would, you know, they'd write about anything. But originally, way back in the day, they'd write, you know, they'd write a lot about media stories and half of their stuff was about media stories. Uh, and, you know, that we would all kind of read that. We'd all be super psyched. And they definitely had a, you know, really awesome kind of point of view. Um, you know, their their freewheeling nature is kind of what, uh, you know, what kind of undermined them at the end. I mean, I can't imagine working for a place where the boss is clearly not in charge and he's, he, you know, he's the one who sort of has taken the brunt of, of, of this whole thing. Um, so I think if you're if you're a New York media person, you, ha- you can't help but feel a little sorry that, that, that Gawker's gone. Uh, unless you're Michael Wolf, of course, our old boss, who uh, was a frequent uh, subject of, of some of Gawker's nastier pieces. And he's been tweeting this week uh, and writing all about how happy he is that Gawker's dead. So just depends on who you are, I guess. They were also unnecessarily mean about his girlfriend. Oh, very um, much so, yeah. I mean, that's... So, uh... I mean, they they would not shy away from getting super personal, and that's you know that's weird and dangerous in in, in you know in the journalism world. But I mean, that's brave, I guess. It's I mean, it's interesting because when you're reading something like that, when you, when you are you know just when you aren't part of the conversation that they're having, it's really interesting and it's really fun. But then even if you like email Gawker or like. Uh, you know, there was always a worry that they were just going to publish that email or something like that. That's true. Yeah, and that's true. You wonder where their loyalties are. There's like no loyalty except traffic and scandal half the time. It's well, scandal. it's got like the most perfect name ever because it is a great site to gawk at. But then as you know, Christina's right that if you ever think that they're on your side or that you can send them a tip or that, you know, you you will get burnt. Uh, and so it's, you know, it, it, it was definitely... The unpredictability of who they were going to hate, who they were going to blast or randomly love uh, was part of the charm, but it was also that mercurial nature that probably did them in in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes, you know, it is and it is pretty distressing that that a journalistic outfit could be 
you know, sort of just sent out of business by, you know, by a guy with a lot of cash. I mean, it's just, and, that's depressing. Yeah, and now the same lawyer is repping uh, Melania uh, with her whole nude photo, nude escort thing. That. It seems like it's going to just be a chain reaction where it's like now that it's worked once, right? It's a playbook by which, uh, you know, uh, others can continue this and they can that that lawyer, or that team's going to keep selling themselves as this is what we do. Uh, so let, uh, on, let's move on to a brighter piece of news. We have a new Old Spice guy. Tim, who is the new Old Spice guy? Oh, it's Von Miller, who apparently uh, is a very good football player. You may remember him from Super Bowl 50. Uh, he was the Where M- he was the MVP. He was the MVP, which for an outside linebacker is uh, pretty hard to become the MVP, but he, he was. And that yeah, and, and others of you may know him from Dancing with the Stars, uh, where he apparently did a version of Michael Jackson's Bad that was not very good uh, and got him voted off. Um but yeah, apparently, um, you know, Old Spice is super into the NFL. They're very obviously their target is um, young young guys who love sports, so it's a perfect thing. They've done a lot of NFL stuff in the past. They had that Drew Brees campaign that was sort of funny a few years ago. Uh, it, obviously, the fall the fall season, the fall football season is huge for them, and they're sort of putting all their eggs in this in this basket. And Von Miller is a great guy. I mean, he's very funny. He's very quirky. Uh, you know, hugely popular, but also kind of weird. It's, he almost fits the brand kind of perfectly in a way. Uh, don't haven't seen any uh, ads yet. I think the, the first ones are going to come out after the after week one or maybe during week one. Uh, but we got a few funny photos of Vaughn this week uh, holding up overly photoshopped uh, images of the of the brand's products. So yeah, it'll be fun to see what what where that relationship goes. I mean, if anything, he's almost too perfect for the role because you've got Isaiah Mustafa and Terry Crews both had a football pedigree. Uh, you know, they both had, I mean, very different kind of swagger and charm. Uh, but it, it does feel like they, you know, as soon as I saw it, it seemed so obvious. You know, it's just like, yeah, he's he's kind of perfect for it. But it's all going to come down to his delivery. I mean, Old Spice ads are about the delivery, not about the look or the fame of the spokesperson. Yeah, and you know, I would I would also say that the the you know the NFL specific Old Spice. Stuff is a little bit separate from what you would think of as the old spice guy. I don't think Isaiah's going away. I don't think Terry Crews is probably going away. I think they're probably going to go back to those guys, but they do this sort of NFL season campaign uh, where they, they bring in these celebrity athletes and, and do a very specific targeted thing with them that's kind of a little bit separate from just the random wackiness that they often do with their other guys. And I mean, the ads are going to be weird no matter what. Like, they're they're gonna find a way. Totally, it'll be it'll be Vaughn doing something incredibly odd, no doubt. Well, and so he's uh, you know it was a big week for him because he was also the star of the uh, what apparently is going to be the first of many videos uh, from the agency Heat uh, and EA Sports uh, for Madden season for Madden Seventeen. You know, the last two years they've rolled out these gigantic videos uh, with uh, you know pretty big stars, uh, and they've won uh, quite a quite a ton of awards at Cannes and gotten a lot of. But it's really kind of built Heat's reputation on that on that one client. And uh, this year, they're doing something different with Madden Season. Uh, they're rolling out kind of a, a bunch of videos uh, that are, I have a feeling, going to be mostly parodies of pop culture phenomena. Uh, so the first one was a uh, Vaughn Miller singing and dancing uh, a song called Start Me, uh, where he wants to be on your starting line in Madden 17, uh, to the tune of Justin Bieber's Sorry. Just start me. When I'm on your Madden 
can win, so I'm saying start me. Let's do this. Stop all plays, just using my body. Which I had, uh, <laughs> I had somehow like avoided ever actually listening to or watching. Why? It has You're missing so out. You're missing out, man. It has like one point, what three or four billion views on YouTube. Because uh, it's that good. It's, it's a great really song. Catchy. It's a great song. And uh, <laughs> so you know the the. Vaughn's piece was uh, pretty good, uh, pretty funny. It's good. It's always good to see stars like that who can make fun of themselves. Uh, but I'll be curious to see what else Heat rolls out uh, with that campaign because it, it isn't just going to be the one massive uh, kind of cinematic ad this year the way it has been for the last two. Uh, the other interesting agency thing to me, this in and of itself, not necessarily huge news, but Deutsch won uh, Bush and Bush Light uh, without a review. Uh, so that's pretty rare in and of itself to win a national uh, beer brand uh, from Anheuser-Busch without any sort of creative review, uh, without any direct competition. The client reached out to Deutsch, said they'd been keeping an eye on them, that they thought they were a, an agency they'd like to partner with. Uh, it, this just seems like a really big uh, big time for Deutsch. They've been, you know, this is an agency that had some really huge years, uh, has been kind of quiet at the last few and now this month they won uber uh now they've won bush yeah i mean i think deutsch um you know uh, they, they were great uh they were adweek's agency of the year four out of five years back in the sort of late 90s to early 2000s when when donnie was still there and you know they had they had a huge uh they were the sort of the buzzy agency back then and you know they've always been strong they've been strong since then they've, they've always done good work you know, there's always been this L.A. New York divide, which they're trying to sort of erase now. Uh, L.A.'s always, in recent years, L.A.'s done the stronger creative. Um, you know, going back to the, the, the Darth Vader Volkswagen spot that sort of ruled the world in the 2011 Super Bowl, uh, and they've done great work uh, for Taco Bell, uh, among other clients recently. Um, but you know, the VW scandal is sort of, you know, is is quite worrisome for them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've always been I've always been impressed by their work, and it's nice to see them, you know, getting getting some new clients in, and and uh, they've definitely got they're stacked with talent. There's no there's no shortage of talent at that agency. So yeah, I mean, it's not you know it's not necessarily uh, agency of the year stuff yet, but maybe you know maybe before too long it would be. Uh, one other kind of interesting tidbit. This again isn't necessarily big news, but it it was fascinating and kind of surreal to me is. Uh, uh, we run the Adweek Blog Network, which includes, I, th I think, all told, about nine blogs. Uh, and one of them is TV Newser, which covers the TV news uh, industry. And we've been uh, covering a lawsuit uh, involving one of the former anchors who was, uh, who's was who been taking Fox News to court over allegations. Uh, and the, the most surreal part was in the middle of it. Uh, it randomly says uh, that TV Newser, our blog, uh, is, is well known in the industry to have been, uh, I, I think they said something like created and controlled by Roger Ailes. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. It's, and it's new, like, it's, news to it's us. just, a, so yeah, such, such a weird thing to, to see, suddenly see in this, in this story that you're covering, uh, to see your own site, which was not at all uh, ever launched or uh, controlled or influenced in any way by Roger Ailes. As far as, as, far as we know. 
Yes, the the secret <laughs> Illuminati hand of Roger Ailes goes yeah. apparently much farther than we ever knew. Uh, but it was kind of interesting because uh, basically, you know, TV News was started by a guy in his dorm room uh, in college and sold to Media Bistro, which uh, owned the blog before we merged with Media Bistro. So it's a direct line of succession. There's no like dark corners. But it was just a surreal moment to kind of see us suddenly <laughs> like, in weird. the news. You know, we got an email from BuzzFeed asking us to comment on this. We're like, it's not true (laughs) what what do you say other than no yeah we weren't (laughs) so anyway so that's uh kind of a wrap up of what's been going on in the ad news obviously check out adweek.com for lots more of breaking news and other industry uh things going on this week uh but now i want to skip over to something a little more fun uh have tim tell us about ads worth watching and uh what we should be spending some of our precious time actually watching ads this week uh what are some good ones tim all right. Well, here's my disclaimers that I've been away for two weeks. I just got back, so I've I've been watching no advertising for about two weeks. But that sounds magical. Um, I did actually watch <laughs> advertising though because the Olympics were on, of course, and we did a, a great package of content around the Olympics that I didn't contribute almost anything to, which I apologize for. But um, I did see a bunch of the Olympics ads, and I think we really probably have to talk about the Nike stuff, the Unlimited series that. They sort of broke a week or two before the Super Bowl, and they did a bunch of executions in the Super Bowl. And, you know, this was really classic Nike. I mean, it's such good stuff, so fun to watch. It's kind of meta. It's, it's like flashy, but it's also funny. You know, it had this voiceover kind of getting hijacked in the middle. Like the voiceover tries to wrap up the spot, and the athletes in the spot are, don't want anything to do with it. They crash through the tagline. And, you know, it's just that it's that classic Nike thing of just being infectious and not overly serious, but also like, you know, super celebrity heavy. And, and, and this time they also had a bunch of everyday athletes. Um, and, you know, it was just all Wyden Kennedy. Obviously, has been working for Nike since you know, since they created Just Do It 25, 26 years ago, and it's just you know it's it's so fun to see them kind of take the Olympics and really kind of hit it out of the park, so to speak. Um, and Nike is is a is a brand that's been sort of under 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 attack from you know rivals like Under Armour and. You know, Under Armour sort of, you know, had the 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 misfortune of, of of you know being on the on on the end of a weird Sports Illustrated cover where Phelps, who's an Under Armour sponsor, was wearing Nike pants. I mean, that sort of to me was in, was sort of nicely summed up the Olympics for Nike, which is nothing could go wrong this year for them. It seemed like. Well, I think that's what it was like. That that certainly the Phelps thing was very interesting. But I I also think that like. Featuring uh, athletes who who were, you know, closer to someone you could relate to during the Olympics was was something that was kind of special, or maybe not closer to that you could relate to, but like everyday people, like people you hadn't heard of before, made that made that campaign sort of be like, okay, you're watching the Olympics, you're watching all of these stories of all of these athletes who have been training forever. And because of the age that we're in now where you can record so easily, half of these ads are using footage from when these kids were young. So you can see like, oh crap, they were like good at this from age five. Um, the like, the, the executions with like, I don't know, the older nun who late in life did a bunch of triathlons that's i don't know that is that was inspiring and you know that that harks back to the very first just do it commercial ever which was an 85 year old runner um the entire campaign launched in 1987 or whenever it was 
89, I don't know, but it was with a, uh, an elderly man who was a marathon runner. So that's kind of brought the brand kind of nicely full circle too. Um, but yeah, and, and, you know, really smart media placement too. I remember watching Mo Farah win the, uh, one of his long races and, 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 you know, they, they ran the spot right after that. And it's, there's a line in that, in the commercial, in the Nike commercial that says, what are you doing, Mo? The race is over. Stop running. And that was just from the, you know, that was from the original spot that ran before the Olympics ever started. And, and to, to run it in the, in the first slot in the pod right after his race was like total genius. So I let's talk about the voiceover a bit. It's Oscar Isaac, uh, so Poe Dameron, uh, the 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 dancing uh, kind of robot sexual assaulter from uh, from Ex Machina. He's the uh, internet's boyfriend. Let's do this. No, no, let's not do this. Run! Everybody is going way too far. Hello? Why is no one listening to me? You too, Mo. Stop. The race is over, man. I was ready to love anything Oscar Isaac did. I don't love the voiceover. Like that opening spot that Tim referenced where it's kind of the gag is this meta kind of like, oh, the ads keeps going. And now the vo- the vo- narrator's like trying to keep up with it. That was OK. But man, it got it wore out its welcome pretty fast because basically the conceit of the campaign is that the narrator is kind of like asking how are you able to do this like he literally in the ad with a uh you know with a quadruple amputee is like you don't have any arms you don't have any legs like that's just dumb like i get it but it it was just it was an ad campaign to be watched muted uh i I feel like it it did not gain yeah but i mean i guess your boyfriend apparently well not anymore (laughs) uh I, I mean, am I wrong, Christina? You're you're an Oscar Isaac fan. You were a fan of this campaign. Uh, what was your take on the VO? Um, well, at first, I was sort of thinking of it as like this voiceover is kind of a stand-in for you know what you're supposed to be thinking as you watch these people accomplish these things, and maybe it's this unfiltered version of it where all of the kind of shitty takes you might have in your head are the things that you're actually hearing this narrator say. Whereas like, you know, as an observant person who isn't filtering your thoughts, you might be like, you don't have any arms. How are you doing this? Um, So maybe there's an appreciation of that kind of... uh, I think, you know, conceptually, the, the the way that it was kind of set up with the voiceover is almost like a sequel to the possibility spot from a year or two ago. You guys probably remember that one. It was kind of a similar thing, and it had Bradley Cooper doing the voiceover. And it was similarly like, you know, Wyden likes to likes to sort of play around with the, the format of things, right? So they, they take a regular voiceover, and they kind of create a little meta experience out of it. And, and the Bradley Cooper ones kind of started that. You know, he, he sort of would tell the athletes, you know, be sort of buddies with the people that he's talking about in the voiceover there. And this one, I think, just took it to another level. And yeah, I mean, I hear you. Maybe it's maybe it was too much for you. Maybe it feels too clever or too precious. But to me, I, I think it worked pretty well, actually. Well, it helped it. It helped it stand out from being like, I think what they did well is that Wyden kind of broke 
some of the percent or some of the things you would expect, honestly, because of other work that Wyden's done is you would expect it to be this like epic. Look at this amazing accomplishment that this person's done. Don't you just want to bow before them? And instead, they kind of turned it into a somewhat silly, uh, very approachable thing. So so I do respect what they did. Uh, it's just one of those where after I watched it once or twice, I was like, you know, I'll watch the behind the scenes footage, which was great uh, about the actual you know athletes they were profiling. But so, know, let, so, let me, so let me ask you about something that I'm sure you loved. KFC sunscreen. <laughs> did you so order any, us, did you order tell, any of the KFC sunscreen? I mean, we KFC smelled sunscreen. it. We smelled it in the office. Oh, did you get some in the office? Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And it, it didn't smell like anything. It didn't oh, smell like fried chicken. Disappointing. I mean, uh, Patrick Coffee's take was uh, it it smells like crap, but it doesn't smell like chicken. <laughs> so so maybe it's brand appropriate. Do you do you have to put it on for it to smell like fried chicken? Maybe. I don't know, but I'm not gonna put on something that's meant to smell like fried chicken on my skin if I'm about to go and like you know fry out in the sun. <laughs> right. So th- for those of you who don't know, KFC created a gag product uh, sunscreen that supposedly but apparently does not smell like fried chicken. Um, I also found it, I mean, obviously it's a PR play, pure and simple, and it's been all over the news, it's been all over Twitter, so clearly, you know, it did what it was intended to do. Uh, conceptually, it was a little weird though, right? Like, like, you know, KFC is about frying stuff and, and sunscreen's about trying to not fry stuff. You know, like, well, yeah, the the whole uh, isn't it George? Is it George Hamilton? George Hamilton, right? He was the, yeah, he's the spokesman. Um, he's, he's the latest colonel, and he's been pitching this stuff. He's now. the crispy one, and so I think I think in the long run it actually makes sense for them to have done this because over the last couple like a you know couple months it's been you know that he's the crispy uh, colonel and he's super tan and it's like all of the ads are him like sitting at the beach and like he's gonna eat chicken and it's super crispy but uh you know you can't really do something like that and then not address the fact that like it's not good for you to tan that much so (laughs) to like have sunscreen makes sense but also like i don't know the whole thing evokes that seinfeld episode where um kramer like accidentally fries himself uh and and becomes like a there's a whole visual bit with him looking like a chicken i don't know (laughs) it it also is part of a long proud or not very proud history of you know stupid products that brands make as gags like you know Burger King perfume and all that that kind of stuff. Um, I wish the Burger King burrito was a gag. <laughs> Aw, the Whopperito? It looks so gross. Well, I mean, come on. If you haven't tried it. David, David, you need to you need to do a blog post yeah. on everything. Yeah, this day. is kind of the, this weird fast food stunts is right in my wheelhouse. So I do. <laughs> you know, when I, I saw them unveil that, and I was just like, if I weren't so busy with the Olympics, uh, ironically, I would have run out and ordered several of those and and really done a deep dive live video uh there you go yeah facebook live facebook live now we should be doing those uh no eating (laughs) on facebook live probably a bad idea Oh, I did it with the quesalupa uh, when they when they finally revealed it. I think the day before the Super Bowl, I did a live video of me and a friend eating the quesalupa, uh, and it was very like 
I mean, I've done a lot of stuff on camera, but for some reason, eating on camera, like I, I think I would have rather gotten naked, and it would, it would have felt like less weird. Don't do that. Don't do that. Holding up a camera and just letting people watch me eat Taco Bell. So it's, you know, it's intimate. Not uh, for the squeamish. Uh, Tim, were there any other ads we should actually take time to watch this week? Well, the other thing I wanted to mention, which actually is not an ad, but it's a, it's a short film about the making of an ad, is this. Uh, Tim Mason, the director, his new little short film, No Other Way to Say It, which is, it's up on Ad Freak now. Um, I think we posted it a few days ago, and it's basically um, a comic film about the, the the voiceover recording for a radio commercial. I've never been in, in, a, in a voiceover recording for a radio ad, but my wife has, and it apparently is... Uh, quite uh amusing to people who who've worked in that in that business so it was made by hog butcher which is a, a, a content creation company out in chicago um they use a lot of talent from second city io and the annoyance theater and it's really worth worth watching it's about it's about six and a half minutes and it's uh, a couple of creatives kind of arguing about the the creative direction of of what the voice should sound like and then you have the voiceover artist herself who is being distracted on her phone by uh, quite quite distressing text messages from her mom. You have never before eaten ice cream in your life. I don't know what the backstory is. You're still your age, whatever you are. You're not an infant, but you've never had ice cream. You just ate ice cream, and now you have to transmit this information to the world. Can you try sounding a little younger? There's been so many over the years, uh, parody you know, short films about, about advertising going all the way back to Truth and Advertising, which was Tim Hamilton's brilliant piece from about, gosh, maybe 15 years ago. Uh, I'm not going to say this is up there on that level, but it's definitely worth a watch. It's called No Other Way to Say It by Tim Mason. My favorite thing about that video is that I was a copywriter for many years at an agency and did a lot of radio records. And I'm I'm the villain in that video. You know, the copywriter, <laughs> the yeah. copywriter who's like, can you say it like this is the first time you've ever tried ice cream, but you don't care if anyone else likes it? <laughs> I was like, yeah. You know, I my wife, really uh, when she worked in Maine at an agency, she did some work for L.L. Bean. She did some she was actually on the account side, but she. She was in radio recording uh, sessions for LLB and radio spots, and it sounded like the level of minutia that they sweated all the time was like absurd. And so, I'm sure this anyone who anyone who's been through that will get a good kick out of this one. All right. Well, thanks for catching us up on uh, the only other one I would throw out there is uh, I think Crispin Porter Bogusky is doing some really funny stuff right now for Let Go. Uh, the it's a kind of a marketplace uh, sell your stuff app. I guess uh, kind of the app uh, next evolution of Craigslist. Uh, but I, I've really enjoyed the campaign they've been doing for the last year or so, where they kind of take big big budget Hollywood scenarios into these very ridiculous. Uh, it's kind of classic. Oh yeah, Crispin the uh, the commercializer. That's what it's called. Yeah, so Commercializer yeah. is part of that where they let you build your own big-budget ads. Uh, but they've also done these kind of like someone is drowning in quicksand holding on to their keg refrigerator. And his wife's like, come on, just get rid of it. And he's like, but what if I decide to build a man cave? You know? so it's like, <laughs> I see. There's these great and, – and the pacing of them is really funny. They did a, a really good one this week with uh, uh, with a, a woman driving around on a moped uh, with a giant disco ball and trying to get rid of it causing these massive 10 car pileups and so it's a great mix of big budget kind of epic ads with these very simple gags and uh so really good uh, the app is called let go uh agency's crispin porter uh so i'm interested to see more ads rolling out for that one my 
my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. But for now, let's move on to the other big topic. Uh, the Olympics are over. And so this week, I wanted to spend a little time just talking about some of our takes on the Olympics. Uh, Tim was mostly watching as a as a viewer while he took some time off. Uh, Christina and I were kind of in the, the sausage factory covering as much as we could and organizing a lot of coverage. <laughs> so the uh, Olympics had some real... Uh, some some real high points in terms of the actual uh, athletic accomplishments uh, there, the, some of the personalities, and some real low points in terms of the marketing, in terms of the ratings of the television uh, coverage of it, and how NBC handled it, the criticisms they faced. So I uh, just wanted to kind of go over... Now that it's officially done and we've got quite a bit of numbers, uh, I feel like NBC's coverage was really kind of one of the hottest points of discussion online, uh, in person. Uh, nobody necessarily seemed to love it, uh, and many people actively uh, hated it. Now, this is something that goes back decades. I, I can't think of an Olympics that in America that people have ever enjoyed watching because of tape delays and because of all the uh, restrictions that they have on it. But all told... Uh, Compared to uh, Sochi, or I mean, sorry, compared to London uh, in 2012. Uh this year did not go well for NBC. So they were averaging about 25.3 million viewers per night, which sounds like a lot. It certainly was more than their competitors had, uh, but that's down 18% from London 2012. So they were getting 31 million people a night watching uh, in 2012. Now it's down to 25 million. So that's a pretty big drop off. But you have to account for the way that people are watching TV now. I mean, like they they did have good streaming numbers. Um, I think... I think we just posted something about that recently. And, you know, I mean, people people are going to watch things later. Like That's just young, younger people don't care as much about watching something live, even if it is a sports event. That's like you'll you'll get to it. But don't, don't you? Know. I feel like it's kind of the opposite that I feel like there was more people clamoring for live coverage and less of the kind of edited, produced uh, lifestyle. I, I read a really great kind of a takedown of the approach that NBC takes. And this, again, this is nothing new. This goes back for ages. Uh, but they treat the Olympics as entertainment, not as sports. Yeah. So you would right. never, you would never, you know, package a basketball game as like a series of lifestyle. I mean, there's some of that in the Super Bowl, but 
I, I tried watching. I was at a restaurant for two hours while Olympics coverage was on, and in that time, I saw zero actual sports and a bunch of features about you know the uh, some of the athletes or what what it's like on the beaches of Rio. I'm like, that's great. I don't. But, you but know. isn't that isn't that on the main NBC feed? Isn't I mean on CNBC they had entire water polo games and they had I mean all they had six I think TV networks uh, covering the games and on most of the other ones that were not the NBC flagship station i think they had pretty much back-to-back sports so i suppose it depends on the complaints are probably about people who just sit down and like want to watch nbc's primetime coverage which yeah i mean it's it's all kind of like lifestyle marketing kind of stories which are frustrating but i feel feel like the sports was there to watch if you wanted to find it i think that's true and and i think you know, this is really kind of a complaint of the cord cutter is, you know, networks have really res- had a bit of a resurgence in popularity because people like me have, have canceled their cable. And so for me, it's either, uh, you know, streaming or it's uh, network television. Uh, you know, the antenna has kind of made a comeback because people want to be able to watch these live events. And this to me was a bit of a worse possible combination because you couldn't really get the live like normally you would say oh I I love watching network TV because I can watch the Oscars live or I can watch this that I can't watch on streaming didn't really get that with the Olympics Uh, but you know to Christina's point so streaming was a a big hit it that's not to say it was easy to use Uh, I believe you got (laughs) 30 minutes of anyone could stream you could watch it for 30 minutes and then it required you to basically uh, authenticate that you had a cable or dish subscription so of course i i couldn't do that as a cord cutter uh but the all all told they had 50 million plus users streaming uh they totaled 3.4 billion minutes of live stream uh well, well over the last two olympics combined i mean like more than twice as much of, of the last two olympics combined uh so I, I certainly hope, and they've said that they will take the lessons of that and apply it toward uh, the Winter Games, uh, toward uh, the next Summer Games. Uh, and so, yeah, I do hope that all of us will kind of get a little more access to without requiring, you know, having these cable channels. You know what's funny, too? There's all these, like, sort of Byzantine rules and quirks around the streaming, too. So, you know, I, I missed a few races that I wanted to see, like in swimming, for example, and I'd go on and find them on NBCOlympics.com and I'd go to play them you, you have to watch a 30 second pre-roll which I mean fine so you watch that and then and then you get the stream and it's like the Australian announcers or it's like the British announcers and you're like that's so weird like where's Rowdy Gaines to call my Michael Phelps race you know and so I mean to me it's like it, it, it's not holistic you know it, it's still it's still I mean remarkably it's still kind of in its infancy and in how it and how they present it and package it for streaming it's it, it's it's sort of a I mean not that that's a huge complaint because at least you get to see it um, but you know you want to feel like you're kind of watching the same stuff as everyone else and and doesn't you know it didn't feel that way sometimes well I think that's kind of what we're dancing around is that in general the whole the whole divide like whether or not, if you want to be a, a cord cutter which I also am um, you know if you if there are these events it's it's very hard to be part of that conversation you know it's only gotten more difficult I think yeah because because there were streams before you would be able to find some like crappy stream on something but now that they've like been able to shut that down as they should be able to because you know it's a business and they need people watching it uh it's 
there should be a way where you could pay for something to be able to give you the kind of package that you want. Right. So this is the a la carte argument that eventually yeah. we're going we're to get to the place where you can pay for exactly what you want. But that's, you know, as we've covered extensively, that's obviously not in the best interests of so many of the big players. So I, I know, but I want to be to there already. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really thought that when HBO Now uh, kicked on and they broke off from requiring uh <laughs> Cable subscriptions, I signed up right away. I think a, a lot of people did. I mean, of course, they timed it very well to the return of Game of Thrones. But I really do feel like that was proof of concept, that if you have a big enough media extravaganza that people are going to care and that they're going to be there, that they will sign up, maybe for a limited time. But I almost feel like uh, the Olympics needs to go back to the pay-per-view model, you know, that I think that would, in a modern context of being able to pay for what you want to actually watch, would have made them uh, a lot of money but it's obviously going to lose them a lot of money in the kind of the big big picture. I mean, they sold $1.26 billion in advertising around their broadcast and digital. And in the end, they were really scraping to deliver all that because mm-hmm. of the low ratings. Um, and so, you know, yeah. they, they had their ratings ended up down about 17 percent. Uh, so it was a real struggle. But. I hope that that will motivate them. Uh, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's good for NBC that they ended up making their commitments. They ended up not having to give away a lot of free ads in the fall, uh, which would have cost them a lot of money, too. But I'm hoping that this financial scare uh, that they had will motivate them to get creative uh, next time the games comes around or next time, you know, if if there is anything else on this scale. Well, and in four years time, I mean the media landscape is going to look so different too. I mean, you know, you think about, you, you talk about HBO now. I mean, you also have things like Sling TV where you can get, you know, 20 cable networks for 20 bucks a month. I mean, that's more of the the model I think is going to work. Uh, you know, HBO now is great, but it's HBO. You know, you know you're going to subscribe to TBS now. I mean, I don't think you would. So, um, I mean, Samantha Bee's really great. So, <laughs> 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 they've, they've gotten they've gotten my interest that's for sure yeah but no i would not pay 15 dollars a month for tbs how about hgtv now well or, or, or tmc yeah i mean yeah. I, I think like tmc is the best argument for a network that kind of you know would have been the butt of a joke several years ago that the idea that you would ever pay just to watch that but i would you know now yeah i'm not trying to uh, pick on tbs either i'm just saying <laughs> Premium uh, <laughs> content. Premium content is an easier sell when it comes to creating your standalone, you know, streaming service. Uh, this is true. I did want to talk a bit about the ads. We obviously talked a little bit about Nike Unlimited, which did uh, have the best ad recall. About 34% of people surveyed by Google uh, remembered that one uh, first. And uh, taking a somewhat distant second was Coke uh, with their That's Gold ad and then Tide uh, ad featuring Simone Biles. Uh and so, so you know, it's good to see that Nike not only seemed to us as ad observers to really kind of come out on top, but then uh, quantitatively they seemed to do very well. Uh, tied consistently across several different measurements, uh, did great. Uh, but one ad that was certainly not new uh, but continued to get a ton of visibility was Droga 5's Michael Phelps ad, uh, Rule Yourself, uh, which – for us in the in the ad industry is kind of old news. It won uh, Grand Prix in film. R- am I right? It can this year. Uh, film film craft. Yes. It's the last goodbye. I swear. I have no regrets for the past is behind. 
that, you know, it was fascinating to see an ad that's been out for many months, but I really do feel like this is the moment that it was obviously created for. Uh, and it is now, I think, the fifth uh, most shared Olympic ad of all time. Uh, it really, you know, so it was interesting that it's not one that they held in the can waiting for the Olympics, uh, but that it really kind of saw this uh, extra surge. Of course, it did not hurt that Phelps got five golds, that he finished his career with 23 golds total. Uh, you know, he had a great year. Uh, well, it was a great story, too. I mean, that's the thing about that campaign is that, um, you know, in 2012, Phelps was sort of unmotivated. You know, he was complaining about having to go to London. I mean, he was, you know, he was not your ideal brand endorser in 2012. And this year, he was saying it was his last year. He was really motivated. He, he had just gotten uh, engaged. He just had a child in May. Um, and he just seems like, I mean, I, I sat down with him in, in March, went right when the, on this on the day that the the Under Armour spot came out. We got to we saw I saw the Under Armour spot as it as it came out. We we posted it on our site, and then a half hour later, I got to sit down with Michael and talk to him a little bit about you know his you know his marketing persona and, and everything else. I mean, this is a guy that is only in the spotlight every four years, so that's an interesting brand story. I mean, that's an interesting endorsement wrinkle to, to a lot of Olympic athletes. Uh, but what was different about this guy this time is, you know, he, he was motivated and he was like, this is my last shot. I really screwed it up four years ago. Um, and, and he was really excited. And, and, you know, the fact that he was committed to being last his last Olympics uh, gave Droga and Under Armour this, you know, lovely angle of like the hero's last swim, that whole thing. And, you know, the fact that he you know that he uh, really performed. You know, I mean, amazingly. He's 31 now. Um, he hasn't set a personal best in the pool, I think, in I know, like six or seven years. Um, so for him to come out and win all these races, I mean, it was a storybook ending for him, and mostly for Under Armour. Although, again, the the Sports Illustrated cover with him wearing Nike pants was a little weird, and I'm sure I'm sure they were not happy about that at, at UA, but. Um, yeah, great spot and, and great story that really enabled the execution of that spot, I think. Wait, I feel like you're leaving out the best part of your interview with Phelps. Didn't didn't they have you guys watch him work out? We yeah, we did watch him work him? out, which was so awkward and weird, but they you know, they, they told me that, that they were doing that um, you know, before I went down. This was this was down in Baltimore at, at, at UA's world headquarters there and They've got a lovely gym. They've got a whole campus, you know, and he's obviously like Mr. I mean, they have among their celebrity stars. Uh, I mean, Steph Curry, obviously, Tom Brady. They've got a bunch of A-list athletes. But Michael is sort of special in a way because he's he's the world's, you know, the planet's most decorated Olympian in history. And, you know, he gets a hero's welcome there. And so we got to, talk, you know, we got to do interviews with him. And then they took us over to the gym where Michael's, you know, goes through like a 45-minute workout routine and, and to watch him was on the one hand like really bizarre and, and sort of awkward but on, on the other hand it was so impressive i mean it was this guy you know this guy did like a 40 yard long monkey bar thing where each one he would do like a couple pull-ups and you're just like the guy was insane i mean i'm wondering if under armor was like you know what we can we can prove that our our gear is something that you can work out for 45 minutes in front of a room full of journalists and not look entirely disgusting so yeah Yeah, that that would be good you know and and michael's from baltimore so his whole thing is this was my hometown brand growing up so like that's why he loved them so much i mean actually they weren't they only hooked up with him like three or four years ago uh he was with speedo before that who uh, of course subsequently hooked up with ryan lochte and we all know how that turned out 
Um, poor Speedo. Yeah, yeah, poor Speedo. Well, their name was trashed in uh, in the post's cover of Ryan Lochte. It said uh, Speedo, it was like, liar, liar, Speedo on fire. If I were the brand manager for Speedo, I would be like, that's it, this kid. Yeah, I think one of the, I, th- I saw a headline from one site that was pretty funny that said, Speedo supports dicks, but only to a degree. <laughs> when they drop yeah, that, one, when they drop I believe one. that was GQ that that deserves a <laughs> pretty solid headline award um, so so one interesting and you know I think we've got a lot of eyes on Phelps and of course at the end Ryan Lochte uh, for losing his endorsement deals over uh, kind of exaggerating his uh, robbery incident yeah, but uh, Katie Ledecky I felt like was a real kind of breakout star she's only 19 she got four golds, a silver. I mean, that's just short of, of how, how well Phelps did. There was a lot of debate uh, kind of culturally about whether she even merited more coverage on s- some days uh, than Phelps, which I, I would argue she did. Uh, but what's interesting is she will not be going pro. She will not be taking on endorsement deals. Uh, she's just going to go to finish doing college. Uh, so, you know, that's on the one hand kind of obvious. She's 19. She's got a bright future ahead of her. Uh, she is really kind of passionate about getting back to school but on the other to have a performance like that to have a year like this and then not uh, basically turn down the millions of dollars uh, that she could uh, have have gotten after that it's just an interesting thing i think she's doing the right thing but it's amazing yeah i mean one of the one of my favorite tweets of the whole olympics was somebody wrote uh uh michael phelps is is the katie ledecky of men's swimming and i mean you know that that said everything to me like and and you would see headlines like phelps takes silver in in such and such a race and then the subhead is ledecky wins gold i mean it was sets world record bizarre right yeah she beat a world record and she's the subhead in the story i mean it's crazy and and what i really liked about ledecky is how just you know real she is and she's just she's a competitor but she's also she seems to just want to do better because she wants to swim fast not because she wants to destroy everyone else which is sort of the anti-phelps you know in that in that in that way um but you know it, it's a risk right to not to not uh want to make millions off your success like look at uh missy uh franklin right four years ago she won like five golds and this year she didn't she didn't win any medals and she seemed like there seems to be something wrong with her swimming so she was 19 at the time, and now she's 23. And you know she's been in she, she has been in a, a bunch of commercials. She was in the United spot where all the athletes are going through the airport and on the plane. I mean, she's had endorsement deals, but it does it goes to show that even at 19, you never you're never assured that your success is going to last that long. So it's a very interesting decision by her to, to forego going pro. So. Uh- Usain Bolt uh, obviously was kind of beloved uh, when you want to talk about the Internet's boyfriend this year. I really do feel like Usain Bolt uh, was kind of one of the most uh, universally uh, beloved uh, athletes uh, this year, just partly from his talent, partly from his ability, but mostly just his sheer joy for being there. Uh, And, you know, he didn't break any personal best, kind of like you were saying with Phelps, but uh, continued to dominate, really had a great last year uh but the the interesting thing to me on the advertising side is that he has said that uh he this came out several months before the olympics so unless he's changed his mind 
he basically says, if you want me to be in your ads, you have to come to Jamaica. You have to film the ad in Jamaica. Uh, he wants to bring jobs. He wants to bring money and bring support back to his country. Uh, and so I, I think that's a really fascinating take, especially for having such a great year and, and not just athletically, but in terms of kind of dominating the social chatter. Uh, I hope it's uh, effective for him. I hope he actually does yeah, have a that's amazing. Impact. I mean, to, to have the power to be such a powerful endorser that you tell your your clients, you know, where where you're going to shoot your commercials. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. He's gotten Gatorade to do it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think yeah. I, I don't. I think he could easily do it. It's also like, why not? Why why would you, why would you turn him down? About you know, I I think to get a powerful story, it makes sense to go where that person is is based and and show them in their element rather than like have them on some sort of you know uh, sterile set in la if they're requesting for you to come to them and you have the means to do it why not yeah. you might find something you weren't expecting i agree they're gonna be they're gonna be happy to do it i think that's true. I mean, I think the the official answer there, because this is something I've asked a lot about, why does everything have to be filmed in L.A. or in these certain cities in Canada? Uh, and the and the answer that I've heard, you know, over the years from industry people is that it's it's not about the talent or, or that necessarily that oh this is the town where you do this stuff. It's that the support, you know, it takes hundreds of people to make these productions, and all those people are already there. So whether it's something as silly as craft services and getting the food on site or prepping the you know the locations, uh, that that is an infrastructure that's already in place uh, in, uh, in Los Angeles and in some of these cities. And that has a big impact on the you know the cost that's associated with those, all of which is not to say I, I disagree with you. I, I, I really do hope that it kind of forces marketers to spend a little extra, but to go get some level of authenticity uh, that they probably wouldn't otherwise uh, be bothered to do. Uh, one other athlete I want to mention, just because I thought this was great, and I'm probably going to butcher his last name, but David Katautau, uh from uh, Kiribati. Uh, Kiribati is a tiny little island. It's 100,000. It's an atoll, but it's a, it's got 100,000 people on it. Uh, did you guys follow this guy at all? He was a weightlifter. Did you see anything with him? I saw headlines about this guy. I didn't really uh, follow the story, though. So what he would do is he would, uh, whether he was successful or not, whenever he would do a weightlifting attempt, as soon as it was over, he would start dancing and he would just dance like crazy. And I, I honestly have no idea how he how he is as a weightlifter. I can't really tell quality on such things, but uh, he was instantly just became he is the perfect GIF athlete, you know, the perfect athlete for the GIF era. And it was all intentional. He was doing this to get attention, to get people to notice someone from a country that no one's really heard of uh, doing a sport that not many people are paying attention to. Uh, but he wanted to raise attention for global warming and for the effect it was having on his nation, which is in, in extreme likelihood uh, facing getting wiped out uh, by rising ocean levels. Uh so just a, one of those great moments where you just really appreciate the Olympics for being this kind of opportunity for this egalitarian moment in a certain way for every country to have a chance to to kind of get your attention in that way. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Dancing with the Stars. Can he be on Dancing with the Stars next? <laughs> oh, man. He'd be so good. That'd be Better great. than Von Miller. I don't think we can wrap up Olympics coverage or like talking about the Olympics without talking about one of the like main conversation points that has come out of this, which is that like we touched on it with the decky and the headlines, but um, and Lochte, I guess. But basically, you know, 
there's there's been a question of like the male privilege that Ryan Lochte has gotten, uh, you know, with Billy Bush on NBC sort of saying like, oh, he's just a kid. And, you know, at the same time, people are very angry with Gabby Douglas for not putting her hand on her heart. I mean, it's a, it's an odd moment, and I like that people are interested in addressing these things. And I also like that when you see Billy Bush, you know, defending Ryan Lochte, uh, you have Al Roker very angry and very uncomfortable with the conversation. I mean, I just I think it's one of those moments where it highlights that there are still ways that we cover things um, that that can be problematic and maybe you don't even see those biases until they're pointed out to you but I just love that there are people pointing them out yeah and and it is particularly odd you know uh, this year because of how well the women did even compared yeah. to, even compared to the men I think the the medal count among the Americans were something like 16 golds for the men and 27 golds for the women um, so it's not like they're underperforming by any means or, or should be considered, you know, second rate or even or, or come second in a headline or. Well, that's that's the thing is that like with with Simone Biles and with, um, you know, Lori Hernandez, they're both great. They're phenomenal. But the first thing that you hear about Lori Hernandez is that she's bubbly. That's why she broke out is that she's bubbly. And that's that's never a description you would have for Michael Phelps. I mean, the dude is not bubbly, but <laughs> well, yeah, and you you also you also hear a lot about whether the the female athletes are married or not, and you mm-hmm. never hear that about the men. No. Uh, I yeah, mean, I and mean, then it's odd. It, and then there was coverage of Phelps saying like or or what Phelps was doing the night that Ryan Lochte was out partying and it was like Phelps was helping his wife with childcare which is a very funny thing because it's like that's not the description you would use if he was a woman you would just say he was taking care of his child like it's not helping if it's your own kid <laughs> right yeah i i actually i really as as frustrating as some of these moments were uh the, the, you know, the casual sexism that was, you know, hopefully not as pervasive as it felt sometimes, uh, but it was certainly there. And what I loved about this is this was a great opportunity for, you know, for the Internet to put these moments under a microscope. Uh, you have basically you just have so many people talking to fill time and just and what happens when you do that is people say a lot more than they necessarily would have said if they had really been taking their time to script it. And so you get a lot more of kind of the honest uh, output and then people can really put that under a microscope. And I, I, I was, you know, Tim mentioned this in passing, but there was a headline that ran in a, in a pretty small newspaper uh, in in rural America that the headline was, you know, Phelps ties for silver, and the subhead was uh, Katie Ledecky sets world record wins gold. Uh, and they that newspaper ended up getting barraged with complaints because uh, I think the the tweet that went viral about it said this is basically a summary of everything wrong with the world, uh, which you know. I would hate if any of our headlines ever got circulated as an example of everything wrong with the world. (laughs) So I understand their defensiveness, but they wrote this lengthy blog post explaining from the editor, explaining why they did it. And they said, well, the picture got cut off and the pictures of Katie Ledecky. And you have to understand. And then it turned into like this kind of mansplainy situation of like, well, you have to understand that Phelps is just a bigger deal. He's just a more newsworthy figure. And I'm like, that's (laughs) that's your problem. 
Like that's what you're not. That is what casual sexism is. I mean, that's that's just this idea that innately that people care more about Phelps. Like on paper somewhere, maybe so. But the Olympics every day these people were exploding and kind of coming out of nowhere and becoming these superstars and this idea this old school you know oh no this is the one athlete people actually care about uh it's just kind of a, such a ridiculous yeah that, that kind of excuse making is so odd because you're you're the media you get to decide who gets to go on top of the on top of the story i mean it's not like also, it just, it's not block. like it just happened to you <laughs> Don't talk yeah, I mean, like that. Don't do that well, if you don't know like, the internet. If you don't know how the internet is going to pull that apart, don't do it. Like he needs, he clearly needed someone on his staff to be like, "Ooh, this is this is a bad idea. This is a bad one." Well, it's like I appreciated the the you know the idea of kind of being transparent about how this happened. There is a reality to making a print headline is you know, a logistically difficult thing. And, you know, I worked in newspapers for years and I I wrote the headlines and dealt with those uh, for the print product and you don't get it right. And it's frustrating because you can't go back and fix it the way we can. If, if, you know, we don't like a headline we put up that said, uh, this was, so it's like, I think he should have blocked about why (laughs) they did that. I just think they should have necessarily have maybe taken a step back and been like, maybe there's some truth. I think they were just so burned by suddenly becoming the, focus of all this criticism uh you know and and, but it was good to kind of hear the logic of this is why we did that i'm like well you're wrong but i guess i appreciate you you know (laughs) taking the time to do that Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah i I really do think this is going to become a trend Uh, this is something and and part of me really does look forward to with every major event like this is like spotlighting these moments that otherwise would have just kind of sailed by because they are casual and that's the problem is that there is a there is still a certain level of hopefully we're moving past casual racism although i'm sure a lot of people would would argue we are not uh but i feel like in this olympics you know it was really more about just these kind of I won't say unintentional, but, you know, just these moments where they say things that I'm sure they they believed. But well, there is one thing. Uh, Do you did you see that um, that meme that Ellen DeGeneres created where she was on Usain Bolt's back like that was was put out on the Internet and she was accused of casual racism right there. And it's like, you know, that that was not a good look for her. That was that was bad um i missed that yeah it, re- it reminded me tim you're gonna have to help me remember what was the ad where the, the where the runner gets like tranquilized and gets shoes put oh, on yeah him? right um gosh i can't remember what the client was that was in the super bowl commercial from the 80s i think yeah yeah early 90s it was uh but yeah it was very similar of just this idea of like weirdly subjugating black athletes right right and they just no one ever stopped to be like maybe this is weird yeah uh you need to talk to other people like you you need to educate yourself and you also need to talk to other people before doing something like that i mean presumably ellen's fairly aware of things that you would think you would think but I mean, this is the second time because she had the, the gap ads that didn't look good. 
So we are uh, kind of getting long in the tooth on this podcast, so I will go ahead and wrap up. Uh, we do want to hear from you, the listeners, especially if you made it this far into listening to us ramble <laughs> about advertising. Uh, you can email us at podcast at adweek.com. So hopefully pretty easy to remember. And uh, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up soon in addition to more episodes of Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, uh, which uh, please subscribe on uh, iTunes or uh, Google Play or wherever you prefer, Stitcher, wherever you prefer to get your uh, podcast from. Uh, but also check out adweek.com and the Adweek Print Magazine. We've got a lot of really fun stuff coming up. Our Young Influentials list, which is always a really fascinating uh, kind of catalog of, of who are the most influential people under 40 uh, in the industries we cover. A lot of other stuff coming up. So thank you, Tim Nutt, our creative editor, for coming. Thank you, Christina Monlo, staff writer, for joining. I'm David Greiner with Adweek, and we will see you all next week. Adweek.